0: Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. Absolutely glad to have you here. Hope you are doing well wherever you are. I am in sunny, warm California right now, and I'm loving it. Um, I gotta say, I do give a lot of crap to my friends and family that are from the West Coast, because obviously the East coast is the better coast, but every once in a while, it's nice to go on vacation, you know, and (laughs) take some time out. Uh, I came for a conference this weekend, uh, Jason Hartman, we had him on the podcast earlier, but, uh, he has a, or had a conference called meet the masters. And so that conference is, uh, geared towards single family home investing. However, it's, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of experts in the field, uh, some that operate out of here but invest in you know midwestern markets uh, like Tennessee Milwaukee, you know markets like that um, you know they they provide turnkey and um, solutions to maybe folks that don't necessarily have the time to go out and you know do a lot of research on markets but want to, uh, but have a lot of capital to invest. Um, and so that's kind of what the, uh, the market here was, but it was good, you know, because we had some amazing speakers that came on, uh, Tom Wheelwright even appeared uh, on the first day and, and spoke and talk about, or spoke about how to invest and build wealth tax-free, uh, which was amazing. And, um, and you know we had a lot of other uh, awesome speakers just from the folks that were providing these services uh, such as you know self-directed IRAs and um, or the other turnkey providers even a mortgage lender uh, a panel I'm sorry of lenders and it was good really really good and a lot of great information and Jason is an absolutely intelligent human being it's incredible you know just um, hearing some of the concepts that he has developed uh, he has developed or absorbed over time and uh and it's good. It's awesome. Um so anyway, that being said, it was an amazing event and I had fun there, but I also met a gentleman so profound in just thought and in life and I cannot wait to bring him onto the podcast. He is a veteran and he said that he would come on the podcast. However he Told me that he wants to remain anonymous for good reason, and so when we bring him on, um, you will definitely hear it. It's going to be an amazing episode, but uh, but I can't wait for that. Anyway, um, about to come on to our podcast is David Green. He is the co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Uh, as many of you know, if you've listened to them before, uh, phenomenal guy. We had an amazing time, and I cannot wait to share that interview with you. So I hope you guys, uh, I know you guys are in for a good treat and I hope you guys are getting ready to take some notes. Uh, If you're just driving around and listening on your commute to work, no worries. You can always go back and take those notes later. Um, And I want to add a quick announcement on April 5th, All right, April 5th, if you are in the Hampton Roads area or the Virginia area, make sure that you come on down to Norfolk. All right, at 6 p.m., we'll be having a military house hacking seminar. All right, there will be a link to it, to it in the show notes page. Uh, you can go and register. Um, there are very, there's very limited space, right? So um, make sure that you go in and you register for it on the Eventbrite page. But yeah, there's a military house hacking seminar. We're going to show you how that you can how you can leverage your VA loan and build wealth. Right? That is the primary focus, and, and show you about how to understand the market that you're in, and the idea is to take this all over the place. So if you um, think that some folks in your area would benefit from having an event like this, reach out to me, right, or reach out to uh, my personal assistant. I'm gonna leave her contact information in the show notes page as well. I'm always looking for. Um, for the opportunity to travel and to go out and spread this message. Because as you know, right, this is important. Uh, What we're doing here is almost is just as important as our primary mission, which is to defend America, right? Well, after we defend America, we need to defend ourselves and our freedom, our freedom, right? Because we deserve the freedom that we, that we fight so hard to protect. I truly believe that. And I know our whole ADPI team stands by that. And so, um, yeah. Help me uh, spread this message out. Uh, these seminars are usually about one to two hours, um, you know, with networking time included in that. So we'll definitely have a great time. It'll be high energy. I'm looking so much forward to it, and I'm looking forward to seeing each and every one of you out there. Um, then, Eric, right, without further ado, let's start the show.
1: Hey, what's going on guys? Welcome to the active duty passive income podcast. I have an amazing legend here on the show. His name is David Green. You may be familiar with him from the bigger pockets podcast. What's going on, David? What's up, Mike? Good to see you today, man. Oh, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for taking your time and talking to our military veteran community. I know they're greatly appreciated. We hear you guys all the time killing it on the show.
2: Well, hey, I mean, that's a good community to be talking to. A lot of people don't know it, but I've been a police officer for about 10 years. So a ton of cops that I work with were also military guys. And really, to be honest, my favorite ones were all military people. So I'm a big Great. fan.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, for serving your country as a cop, man. I know it's a tough job. I'm uh, from New York City originally, so... I got uh, got mad props from Boys and blur. Where's your accent, dude? You don't sound like your. Friend. I'm telling you, man. My family's from all over the place, but <laughs> can you give us like a forget about it or something like that? Forget about it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if I put like a pastrami sandwich in your hands, would that bring the accent? out? Oh, it's, all of a it's home,
1: man. That and a slice of pizza, man. I get that full. <laughs> <laughs> and bring it right out of you. That's right, man. You know it, but uh, but yeah, man. Can you can you tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from, where you got started in uh, investing?
2: Yeah, I was a, I've been a cop. I actually still am technically a cop. I'm just on a leave of absence right now Uh, for about 10 years in Northern California. So I live East of San Francisco. We call it the East Bay, but really it's the Bay area. Geographically, like it's not a big city like New York. It's a bunch of small cities that kind of make up an area much more, uh, like it's diverse as far as lots of different kind of people, but they typically all tend to conglomerate to the same city. So you could sell city, like sell houses over here versus over here. It's a completely different demographic that you're okay. working with. And uh, California basically just got too expensive. So I started real estate investing in 08 when the market was down. Around 2013, it got too expensive. So I was forced to go buy in other markets. And that was kind of where I put together my uh, long distance investing strategy for how I buy houses in other markets, right? Because it doesn't make sense to sit around complaining about the fact you can't make it work where you are you nice. go somewhere that it does. Right. And so I wrote that book for uh, long distance real estate investing, biggerpockets.com published it. And I started doing a lot of podcasts to talk about the book. Eventually I got pretty good at talking, which was kind of rare because cops are really known for like not talking. <laughs> like if you want to be the most popular cop, if you can make it through a day with saying like seven words or less, you probably are going to be nominated. Right. So it was like a challenge of like, how could I never say a word all day and just like angry and mad all the time. And that was <laughs> no. like, so then I get into this world where like, man, I got you got to learn to be nice and talk a lot, which ultimately led to me becoming, you know, a little more articulate and being able to host the Bigger Pockets podcast. So now I'm the co host along with Brandon Turner. We teach people how to invest in real estate, very similar to what you're doing here. And, uh, I've written a couple of books. I'm getting to the point where, uh, I basically just want to educate people on how to invest in real estate. So awesome. I wrote another book coming out in May. It's about the Burr strategy. It's an acronym that stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. And uh that's gonna be coming out soon. So I kind of incorporate those two strategies together, long distance investing and Burr strategy
1: to build a portfolio of properties across the country. Awesome, man. And thank you so much for what you guys do. You guys are killing it on that, on that bigger pocket show. Um, I, before, I really want to deep dive that burst strategy, if that's okay with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we do that, um, I want to touch real quick on that long distance investing strategy. Absolutely. Make sure you guys go get that book because I'm telling you nine times out of 10, right? Us in the military, that's what's going to happen. You know, you're either living in a coastal area that you can't afford in the market, or you don't want to invest in that market. Right. Similar to what David just said or you're on deployment, right. And you're trying to manage your investments while you're overseas. So, you know, you might as well learn the strategies of people that have mastered it. Um, Is there anything in particular that you recommend for folks that are just getting started and trying to Figure that, like challenge that hurdle, right? Well, why don't we focus on military people in particular,
2: right? So there's a couple of strategies that we talk about on our podcast. You probably talk about them on yours too, that make it easier for people to get into real estate investing. So house hacking is a big one, right? That's the act of buying a property and renting out a part of it, whether that's a bedroom or a unit or an ADU in the back or your basement or something. To generate revenue, to cut into your expenses, right? So if your mortgage is $2,000, but you can rent out part of that house for $1,300, you can live there for $700 a month, which is going to be a lot less than whatever your rent would be. So you're a homeowner and you're saving money and you're now a real estate investor. Right. So if you're in the military and you know you're moving around a lot, if you could, it would be much better to buy a house every time you go somewhere, house hack it. Then when you leave, put another renter in there and you can just pick up rental properties like with every single area that you move to. And if you understand the concepts in long-distance real estate investing, you won't be scared to have a property in Omaha and a property in Huntsville and a property in that in Texas somewhere, right? right. So that's the, one of the first thing I would say for people getting started is don't think you got to hit a home run on your first shot. Like, mm. Use a really low down payment loan to get into a house as a primary residence. House hack it. Turn it into a rental property when you leave. It doesn't take as much money if you buy it as a primary residence and then rent it out. If you try to buy it as a rental, you're probably putting 20 to 25% down and you're putting money into fixing it up. It's really hard to save up that much money, but if you buy it as a primary residence, man, you can put five percent down or less and start stacking up houses every single time you move.
1: True. But in the military, we have the VA loan, right? So Oh, that's a good point actually. Yeah, yeah. You don't even have to put anything down. So you don't down. need to put any down, right? Yeah. Exactly. But similar, you know, method, just start house hacking. And you can get up to a fourplex, which is great. You know, you live in one, we're not the other three, and that's awesome.
2: Yeah. So let's say you take house hacking and that gets your foot in the door. Right. And then you get good at house hacking homes where you can actually add value, which is another thing I talk about. Right. So you go in there, you fix it up, you add square footage to it. You do something to make that house worth more than it was. Right. Then when you leave, you've created equity in the property. At a certain point, you could refinance that house, which would be kind of the end of the birth strategy. Now you've got money to go put into your next one. Right. Right. And if you incorporate long distance real estate investing into that, you've got three strategies that are super powerful that can get anybody, any just average Joe who never thought they'd be a real estate investor, making some serious traction with real estate. And I always tell people like the easiest way that I could possibly think of to become a millionaire, and I credit my buddy Daniel Del real with telling me this like 10 years ago, is that you take out a million dollars worth of real estate debt and you have your tenant paid off for you. Right. Like just buy houses, make sure sure that they're not costing you too much money every month and somebody else is covering your expenses and wait and that those houses will be paid down and they'll appreciate. You'll become a multimillionaire because you made a handful of smart decisions when you were younger with your money. Mm -hmm.
1: That is awesome. And so true too. That's absolutely legit. But uh, a perfect segue, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the birth strategy, right? So, and that's when you're actually living in it. And you're, and you're leaving it. But can we talk a little more about how what happens on the other side? Like, let's say if you're just going to buy it as an Yeah. So that's
2: really what, what led me to do things this way is I realized like I was working as a police officer. I was saving up as much money as I could. So I'm working like a legit 90 to hundred hours a week, plus another 10 hours or more of commuting. So my whole life is just working and sleeping. I'm sleeping in my car a couple hours a night to get up to work a 20 hour shift couple hour break and I'm back at it. Right. Right. And I was able to save up enough money that I could buy two, maybe three houses a year. That was all I could do. And it was just so hard to make traction. And I thought this is the only way to do it. What well, a certain point I sat down and looked at what I was doing. And I realized I'm putting down, let's say like $25,000 as a down payment and then $5,000 in closing costs. And then I'm spending 15 to $20,000 to fix the house up. Mm. So I'm leaving like darn near $50,000 in every house I'm buying. And it takes a long time to save up $50,000 on a blue collar salary. That's why I could only buy a handful of houses a year. Mm -hmm. Well, I started to think about the fact that I had a ton of equity in all these homes but I didn't have any capital to buy new houses with. And if you look at the whole cycle of when you build wealth in real estate, it's when you buy the property. When you buy an asset undervalued, that's when you actually make money. Everything else you do is just saving the money you've already made. True. And, I, and, and this light bulb went off where I'm like, okay, so the key is having capital. Like You need capital to be able to buy properties. You need to be able to buy properties, build wealth. And building wealth was the whole point of this. So I changed the way I did it. Instead of buying a house every time I had a down payment and a rehab payment, I saved up my money a little bit longer and I waited till I had enough money to buy a house with cash and enough cash to fix it up. So I changed my strategy instead of putting down a down payment and a rehab. When I went in there and said, okay, I'm going to buy this house for say $60,000 I'm going to spend $30,000 to fix it up. And you're targeting just junker fixer upper properties, right? They're very undervalued because they're in bad shape. So you've spent $90,000 of money and it could be your money. It could be your friend's money. It could be money that you borrowed. It could be a hard money loan. Like the capital can come from anywhere. The important part is you're buying a property and adding value to it or getting such a good deal right off the bat that it comes with value in it, right? And then after you've put that money in you're going to get it appraised and if you did a good job it should appraise for much more than what you've spent so i target houses where i can be all in for 75% of what the house is worth when i'm done so in this example i've spent $90,000 and now the house is worth 120 i have a bank give me a loan and they say okay david you can borrow 75% of what that house is worth well if the house is worth 120 they're going to let me borrow $90,000 so i recover all my capital And I can now go buy another house and I didn't have to work 100 hours a week for six months to save that money, right? I took the same dollar and I reinvested it over and over and over. And with every investment, I'm adding $30,000 of equity to my net worth. I'm adding a couple hundred dollars of cash flow and I'm getting a property that's been completely fixed up, right? Like you're not going to likely have a lot of problems when you spend $30,000 on a head to toe rehab. So once I realized that, man, I went from buying two houses a year to two houses a month. Right. And, and I didn't have to work as hard. It just changed my whole life. So now, like, that's right. why I wrote this book to talk about here is how you do the birth strategy. It's buy, rehab,
1: rent, refinance and repeat. Outstanding. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, that that's amazing. And and guys, take heed because this stuff is possible out there. It's not it's not hard. But um, well, well, man, you know, we say it's not hard, but I'm sure there comes with some challenges with that. Right. I mean, can we talk about some of those challenges? along? The yeah, way? I would love to. So so what was the I guess what was your first hurdle that you faced getting into that that
2: strategy? The first hurdle with this strategy is you can't focus only on cash flow. So a lot of people get into this way of looking at a property and they analyze what's my ROI? If I spend this much, how much am I going to get back in cash flow, right? Well, Burr only works if you're also adding equity. Right. So your mindset yeah. has to shift a little bit from I can only pull my money out if I buy this thing really far below market value. So rather than asking the question right away, what's it going to cash flow? You first have to ask, how far below market value am I getting this? And then you would ask, is it going to cash flow to a degree I'd be okay with? Right. Okay. So that's the first hurdle that you're going to have. With Strategies like this that involve a lot of rehab, you're now managing a rehab, right? A lot of properties in certain areas you can buy without much work and they'll cash flow right away. Right. Well, with the burst strategy, it's probably not going to you're going to be having to add value to it. So you have to add a bedroom or a bathroom, adding square footage, moving the floor plan around to try to make this house bigger or worth more. I target houses that have like Florida rooms or sunrooms, And then I run air conditioning into those areas and I and I change the like I add drywall and I turn it into part of the house. Well, that's just a more complicated rehab. And anytime you get into the rehab process, there's more things that can go wrong, right? right. And for, for the faint-hearted, that's enough to scare people away from real estate. Like, if you go into it not expecting it to be tough, you're going to back out. Now, that really didn't bother me because that's not how... Everything else in life works the same way, right? Like it's true. if you're gonna if you're gonna go into combat and you're expecting it to not be stressful or scary or horrible, you're gonna hate your decision to do it. If you go into something expecting hell, no matter what you get, you're gonna be okay, right? You're gonna be so that was the way that I looked at real estate investing, but I noticed a lot of investors like they don't really have the stomach for that. They'll get into one bad rehab and be like, I don't wanna do this anymore. They wanna go after the the easy stuff. A third hurdle is that the refinance process is it sounds easier when we talk about it than it really is. So it's hard to find banks that will keep letting you take out loans. A lot of banks, they don't want too much exposure to residential real estate on their books. You get two or three loans with the same bank and they're like, we won't do anymore. And when you get a certain number of properties, usually 10, you can't get a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan anymore. Now you got to exactly. go find portfolio lenders and commercial lenders. You got to be creative about it, right? right? And there's a lot of people that don't have the stomach for that either. They just wanted it to be easy. The minute that you add one little complication into there, they, they check out. They're like, nope, this is too hard. I don't want to do it, right? But for the diehards, for the people that are committed that love this stuff, man, I don't know a better way to build wealth than scooping up properties, making them worth more and refinancing them to go buy other
1: properties than this. That is awesome. And, and then true, you know, you're refinancing them. You're not going and selling them, right? We're not talking about flipping here This yep. is a buy and hold strategy. And one that you can build equity as well as cash flow. Well, equity. see, that doesn't get talked
2: about enough either, Mike, because when you sell a house is when you lose all your money. <laughs> like you pay realtor commissions, you pay closing costs, you gotta you gotta give concessions to the clients for things they want fixed. And you take a huge capital gain hit on any money that you made. That doesn't get brought up a lot, man, but like my capital right. gains are right around forty to forty five percent. It's almost half of what I'm making I lose mm-hmm. when I flip a house. Right. Mm. So when I keep a property, I don't have any of that. And I get all the benefits of long-term rental ownership. I get loan pay down. I get appreciation. The rent should be going up every single year. There's all these benefits that come out of it. And the reason that I love this so much is if you look at how you calculate your ROI on a deal, what you're basically doing is you're taking how much money you make every year and you're Mm. dividing it by how much money you invested there's two things you're looking at, right? right? So if you want to increase your ROI, there's two ways to do it. You could take the money that you made and increase it, which means you have to try to get higher rents, which you have very little control over. The market right. determines that, not you, right? right? Or you can decrease the number that you put into a deal. That's the only two levers you can pull on to improve ROI, right? Mm. Well, with the Burr strategy, if I am all in for 90000 and the house is like, let's say, I think it's going to be worth one hundred and twenty. And let's say I messed that up. The, the bank says, nope, actually, it's only worth one hundred and five. That's like a pretty big mistake on yes. my behalf, right? Okay. So what they're going to do is they're going to let me borrow $78,750 instead of 90000 right? So right. on a big mistake, my, cons- my, my consolation prize on this big screw up is I left $11,250 in a deal. That's still way, way less than I'd have put in if I'd have bought that thing traditionally, right? So even when you mess up, you've reduced the amount of money that you actually had in the deal, which would skyrocket your ROI. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense, yeah. You're right? So I routinely get ROIs on bad deals of 70 to 80%, which people say how could you ever do that, right? Like wow. and I'm like, man, that's the ones I mess up on. On the ones I do well, I get all my money back, so there isn't an ROI, and oftentimes the bank will give me more money than I put into it. So I'll be all in for 90, it'll appraise for 130 instead of 120. And they're going to give me back like 94,000 or 95,000, right? So you walk away with $5,000 plus cash flow every month, plus a property. That's why I like it so much, right? Like, even when you really mess it up, you still get a super high ROI. That is awesome. Wow.
1: Guys, listen, I'm telling you, this strategy is killer. That is amazing. Um, can we talk about some of the holding costs that you'll experience right while you're going through and maybe some of the other nuances like insurance and other stuff that you want to look at while you're going through the the rehab process?
2: Yeah, that's good. Um, if you're buying it with your own cash, your holding costs will be a lot lower. You're going to have property taxes and the insurance on the property, right? Right. If you're borrowing money to do this, you're going to have whatever the cost that money is. If you've got private money, you're going to be paying an interest rate on it. If you've got hard money, you're going to be paying points plus an interest rate. Right. I, w- I would tell people if you get a good enough deal, do a hard money loan if that's what you got to do. Right. You just got to have enough meat on the bone that it makes sense to be paying those costs to be able to get your house. True. Uh, insurance will be expensive anytime you have a vacant property. It's like two or three times higher per month than what it would be if it's occupied. And that's something people have to decide. Do they want to pay a three, three X insurance per month for the time it's being rehabbed or they just want to not have insurance in the end. I think it's always better to, to have it, right? Like right. you're going to lose a little bit of money, but then you're going to put a tenant in there. Just go a couple months without p- pulling the money out. Right. So you're just getting massive cash flow because you don't have a mortgage. Pay yourself back for whatever your insurance costs,
1: then go refinance that property and buy your right. next. Right, right, right. No, oh, that's, that's great. Um, and you know, I think that this is, you know, this is great and it's awesome information, but I think there's still some kind of hurdle that like some folks when they're getting started, they just can't grasp their head around. So maybe it's, let's just talk about the deals, right. For a second. So when you're trying to find a good deal, like, how do you know that's a good deal? Is it off market? Is it something you're finding on Zillow? Like, let's just start there. Like, how can people go and find these deals? So there's
2: two things you need to look at when you're analyzing properties. The first is, how much are you buying it under market value? Mm-hmm. And the second is, what can you do to improve that property to make it worth more? So, like, how do you find equity and how do you make equity? Those are the two things I'm looking at. Okay. okay. So, if this house would be worth 100 grand fixed up and I can buy it for 60, And it's going to cost 20 to fix it up, right? Mm -hmm. I'm buying a deal $20,000 below market value, plus the time it's going to take me to get it there and whatever money I have to spend for holding costs, right? But let's say that if that that house is a two bedroom, one bathroom, and it has a, a really big sunroom in the back. If I can take that sunroom and convert it into a master bedroom with its own bathroom and turn that two one into a three two and add four or 500 square feet to that property, right? So it goes from being like 900 square feet to 1300. I might take that ARV of a hundred thousand and bump it up to 140, 150. Okay. So I'm adding 20,000 by buying the good deal. And I'm adding 40 or 50,000 by what I made out of that deal. Now I'm adding up to $70,000 to my net worth because I was wise about the property that I look for. And I knew how to make it worth more. Right. Nice. So um, those numbers are probably not completely accurate, but I think that yeah. they can illustrate the point Correct. here, exactly. which is when you're just looking to buy something that's nice and pretty and requires no work, you're never going to get a good deal. You make money by taking over other people's problems. And this is what smart business people do. Warren Buffett, he goes in there and he buys companies that are struggling in bad economies or that have been mismanaged for millions of dollars, but he solves their problem with his management team and then he makes more money. Multifamily investors go look for a big apartment complex that's not being managed well, that's not being paid attention to, right? Like somebody's not running it well. They take it over, they put new management in place, they improve how it's being operated, they make it worth more. If you wanna be a real estate investor, you also wanna be a business person. And this is how business people think. They look for something that's not being used well and they learn the skills to make it worth more. Now, we just happen to be talking about real estate investing. So we're talking about rehabs. We're talking about rents. We're talking about like maximizing efficiency of a property. These are the tools you got to learn to be a real estate investor, but no matter what business you're operating in, you're going to learn these tools in some capacity.
1: True. Absolutely right, man. That's so that's so sound. And, and guys, you know, he touched, I'm going to highlight a point that he touched on, you know, definitely do not get Obsessed with the glit and the glitz and the glamour of these properties, I know sometimes it's hard, especially if you're dealing with you know a spouse that may not be fully on board with what you're trying to do and build, but try and convince them of the dream, sell them mm-hmm. on the dream, and understand that hey, listen, this property has potential right we could grow it mm-hmm. um, and on that point, um, you know maybe David, we can talk a little bit about certain things that you might want to rehab first, like for example, right. Uh, with the, uh, VA loan back in G- last January, not this one, but the last one, they added a VA renovation loan, uh, addition to it, right. Where veterans can now pull out 35,000 extra and have that go towards contracted repairs and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and remodels right to the house. So what can 35,000 like give us roughly, like, let's just talk about your standard, you know, market. Um, what are some areas that people want to focus on when they're trying to rehab the place? <laughs> If you have a small house, the first
2: thing you want to look at is adding square footage. If you have a bigger house, that's not going to help you, right? If you have less than four bedrooms, you want to look at putting up some drywall and converting a space into a bedroom. So if you can take a a two bedroom to a three or a three bedroom to a four, it usually makes sense. So like with clients that I have, when I'm selling their house for them, because I'm a real estate agent in the Bay Area, Mm -hmm. I'll be like, well, you got a three bedroom house with a huge loft. Right, we'll wall that wall loft off and turn it into a four bedroom, and that costs like eighteen hundred bucks, but it adds ten, twenty thousand dollars of value to the house because you now have that whole extra bedroom. Right? Go right. Um. So so opening up walls can also make a property worth a lot more. Everybody like we all like open floor plans, right? But the best Mm -hmm. way to think about it is start in the kitchen and ask yourself how much of the house can I see from here. That's what people want, right? Mothers want to be able to see their kids when they're in the kitchen, you know, making their lunches or getting their stuff ready for the day or whatever they're doing. Right. They want to be able to see what their kids are up to. They don't want to worry about what they're getting into, right? So if you can't see where the kids are going to be from the kitchen, ask yourself, how could I fix that? Can I move a wall? Can I put a support beam up? Like, what could I do? Because that's going to be a really good return on your money right there, too. And then after that would be the actual kitchen itself. That's the next thing you want to look at. Granite countertops, everyone loves them. They are so much cheaper than what they used to be. It used to be ten grand to put granite countertops in, man. We do this routinely for between three and four thousand dollars. Put nice granite in houses all the time okay. right If your cabinets are ugly and you don't want to spend six seven thousand dollars on new cabinets, just paint them. You paint a cabinet and you put nice hardware on it, it makes a huge difference. And it's, you know, fifteen hundred bucks instead of six or seven thousand. And then, you know, appliances like stainless steel appliances, you can usually get that for two grand or so. Right. So looking to how you can upgrade your kitchen is a really, really big area where you can improve the value of a home. And then the thing after that would be the master bathroom. So don't worry so much about your guest bathrooms. That's not really important. But the master bathroom is very important. When people are looking at the house and you want to go sell it or when a renter's thinking about buying it, they're picturing themselves in that bathroom, in the tub or in the shower after a long day of work. And they're asking themselves, like, would this feel comfortable? You know, right. so that's right. the next place you're going to get value. And then the last one would be the yard. Right, you can fix up a yard because a lot of people think like that's what they care about. They want to play with the kids in the yard. They want to have a, a place to go outside to escape, especially if you don't live in like Nebraska where it's freezing. If it's a decent area, uh, look at fixing up the yard. And I like that because most yard work can be done really cheap. You don't have to pay skilled labor to go in there and rip out landscaping and put bark down or like you know kind of improve your landscaping. You can get a lot done for a little bit of money that should improve the value of the house quite a bit.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So for those that have, you know, that little handiwork niche, right? Where they, they, they feel like they can go and conquer certain stuff like that, focus yep. the money inside the house, maximize the square footage, open some stuff up, focus on the kitchen, right? Then go from there to the master bathroom. And then if you've got a little extra cash or you a little extra time, go and focus on the yard. There you go. Okay, bet. Awesome. Well, guys, you heard it. I mean, that's, that's the blueprint right there. Uh, that sounds like the blueprint and a good way to uh, to maximize the potential in any house. Uh, thank you so much, David, for that. Really appreciate it. Can we um, talk about maybe one uh, challenge that you had going into, like one personal like hurdle that you overcame in your uh, in your journey of investing? Uh,
2: I could say the biggest hurdle I have right now is actually financing. Okay. So like once you get a lot of homes, it gets really hard to keep getting loans for properties. Mm-hmm. So one thing you may want to think about is like, take what you're, what you're learning from what you're doing right now and always be asking yourself, how could I use this same information to apply to a different part of life that would also make me successful? You may not be able to do the same thing over and over and over and have it always work. So the principles of investing I'm describing now. I learned buying single-family homes, but there will come a time where I need to move into multifamily properties because I can't manage 100 single-family houses or I can't keep getting loans for them over and over and over, right? Mm-hmm. That's been a really big hurdle. Another hurdle that um, a lo- I've, I see a lot of people have is just that they, they're not... There's like a barrier to entry to anything good, right? If you want to get in the military, they they have standards you have to hit. They're not just going to take everybody, right? Maybe if we're in right. World War Five or something like that, but <laughs> most of the case, like it's actually hard to get in, right? The very best colleges have high standards. The very best sports teams they have high standards. If you want to be in the Navy, it's hard. If you want to be a Navy SEAL, it's even harder, right? Right. Literally, the higher the barrier to entry is, the better the position is you're trying to get into. Right. So when you walk into a new situation and you catch yourself complaining because it's hard, you're, you're literally saying like, man, I don't want to be a part of something good. That's a good point. Right. Because look at places that have a low barrier to entry. It's the public library. It's the DMV. Right. It's all the places. Walmart It's all the places that you don't want to be. Right. Like no one has a good experience in places with a low barrier to entry. So when I have people that are like, I want to buy a turnkey house, I don't want to learn how to invest in real estate. That's a cool story, bro. But I promise you, you're not going to be happy because when the barrier to entry is low you get, you, you hang around the mutants, they they go to Walmart's. you know? So so embrace that. It's going to be tough, right? Because if you can be the one that summits that thing and and solves each of those problems, then like you get all the victory, right? Like it's all there to you because everybody else got left behind. So that's the advice I'd give to most people is rejoice when it's hard because you know, you're stepping into something that very few other people are going into, which means you'll have it all to yourself.
1: Amen. And solid wisdom right there. Do not hang out with the mutants in Walmart. <laughs> that is awesome. Man. That
2: could be your show title. Yeah, the be. Walmart with real estate investor David Green.
1: <laughs> I like it. I like it. That sounds like that will be it. <laughs> but uh, hey, so thank you so much, David, for your time on the show, man. Uh, solid wisdom. Um, I'm going to take us into our bonus round. but I've got three final questions for you. Uh, so what's your personal favorite book? My favorite book is The Richest Man in Babylon. Ooh, that's a good one. So good. Wow. I haven't heard that one in a while. Yeah. That is solid. Um, Yeah. As a matter of fact, I remember that's actually the second audio book that I picked up.
2: Ironically. Did it like blow your mind? Kind of like Rich Dad, Poor Dad
1: style? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then Rich Man in Babylon. That was the second one.
2: Someday I want to write a book like that, like stories that illustrate points, you know? Like I think that they're they're really powerful. Another really good book is uh, So Good They Can't Ignore You.
1: I really, really mm-hmm. like that book too. I've heard a lot of good stuff about that yeah. one. I haven't picked that one up yet, but okay. Awesome. Well, that, there will definitely be uh, show notes for both those books as well. Uh, so make sure you check those out. Um, second question, who's your biggest hero and why? My biggest hero is Jesus for many reasons that I probably don't want to get hey, to your whole podcast hey, to talk amen. about.
2: Hey, amen. But uh, <laughs> yeah, like you can't you can't find a better, <laughs> better hero than that. Um, outside of Jesus, like <laughs> someone who's still walking on the earth today, I'm a really big fan of Ben Kinney. He's a real estate agent for Keller Williams in Washington. I love how his brain works. I love Gary Keller. If you ever get a chance to listen to Gary Keller talk, he's a really smart guy. Smart. And my co-host, Brandon Turner. I mean, that's he's a pretty smart guy too. He acts like a goof on the show, but you get that guy alone and he's, he's wicked.
1: What do, How do you say in New York? Wicked smart. Wicked smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. He is a good guy. He's absolutely a great guy. Maybe you can help us get him on the podcast someday, man. I'm trying to get him out here if he's got the time. I mean, I know he's he's a busy dude, but um, but yeah, no, that's awesome. Solid choices. Um, and final question. You've already given us a lot of awesome wisdom, but um, if you had three nuggets to give to those who are just getting started, what would they be? Number one, fall
2: in love with the process of becoming great. You've got to love it, right? Like that book so good. They can't ignore you kind of talks about when you become good enough at something, you write the rules to your own life. You know, like anyone that we look, we look at and we're like, wouldn't it be nice to be him? They paid a price to get to where they're at and they've earned the right to say like, you know what? I want to go play for that team and I can do whatever I want. Cause I'm LeBron James, right? Like he, he, he earned that, right? So fall in love with the process of being great. You won't worry about barriers to entry because you'll look at them as weights that you're lifting to get stronger. Mm. Number two, excel where you're at, okay? Don't say, when I get to here, then I'll try hard. When my boss gives me a raise, then I'll I'll do more. When I get that promotion, then I'll step it up. Take where you are right now and dominate that ish to the point that no one around you ever has. So everyone says the same stuff about you. Like, that dude is an animal. Right. When everyone's talking about you that way, opportunities will be flowing to you and you can pick the one you want. My biggest pet peeve is people that say, When I get this, then I'll do that. Right. And you right. and you see this when you're dating these kind of people or when you hire them as an employee, just that attitude of when you give me what I want, then I'll give you my best. They never get anything. The people who give their best end up controlling their own destiny because everybody wants them. Thanks. Number three is know yourself. This is like not known enough basically. So I'm a big proponent of the disc profile. It's a personality profile. Tony Robbins endorses it. Yeah. I talk about it all the time. I know where I'm strong and I know where I'm weak. And I when opportunities come my way, I can see them like Neo in the Matrix, man, is what it feels like. You're looking at that code and you're like, nope, that's going to be a problem. I won't be able to handle this part, right? So I either avoid that opportunity or I put someone in place that will be good at that. And that's why I succeed faster than other people. That's a big reason why is I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at, right? I know if I'm Steve Kerr on the Bulls in the 90s, right? There's a handful of teams I can play on. I could play with Michael Jordan. I could play with the Spurs and Tim Duncan. You put me on a sucky team that guys can't get me shots and I'm not going to knock them down. I'm not going to be a very good player right? He knew himself. He knew he couldn't play much defense. He knew he couldn't handle the ball great. He knew he needed to be on a team that would get him open, that he could shoot. And that's why he had a great career, right? So that's what I would say is like, you took a dude that really probably should not have been in the NBA at all, but he put himself in the right environment and he was able to be like a really good NBA player. So those are the three things that I would say, if somebody wants to be successful, you should uh, focus on it. And I feel like with the Burr strategy, I'll wrap it up with this. The book is basically about how to become a black belt real estate investor. If you master how to buy, you master how to rehab, you master how to rent and analyze properties, you master how to refinance them, and then you master how to build systems to repeat it, you will have mastered everything there is to know about owning rental property. There'll be no reason that you're not building massive wealth, right? So focus on excelling at each of those five things and you will end up knowing
1: everything about real estate investing and having a great career. Outstanding! All right, so guys, definitely make sure you go get that book. Make sure you follow David Green and Brandon Turner on the Bigger Pockets show because they are awesome there. They're crushing it. Um, thank you so much for all the wisdom that you've given hundreds of thousands of people all around the world. Man, you guys are killing it. Um, Thanks, Mike. And uh, and for that Burr book, it hasn't come out yet, right? It's oh, no, you can for- buy it on Amazon right
2: now. It's if okay. it's called Buy Rehab Rent Refinance Repeat the Burr Investment rental property management's made simple. Uh, so yeah, you can Google it and you can find it. Perfect.
1: Well, uh, there'll be, there'll be a show notes link to it from the Amazon. Make sure you go grab it guys. And, uh, David, what, what, what's next for you, my man, what's going on? Well, my goal is to be the top real estate
2: agent in the Bay area and the Sacramento area. So I really, I mean, I don't know if I should say this, but it's the truth. I kind of don't like real estate agents. Most of them suck. Like very few of us ever have a good experience with a real estate agent. They're just not good. Right. So I'm trying really hard to change it. I'm trying to take everything I learned about buying houses for myself and what I've learned about being a good business person and applying it to the real estate agent business so that people who know me have a safe place they can go for someone that will represent them well, give them really good advice, help them to find good deals, sell their house for the most they can. So really I'm putting a lot of time right now into building up this team and, and we're doing really, really well. But I, I've got a lot of focus on that. Once I've got that established, I'll probably go do the same thing with like a loan company so people can get cheap loans and get like good service. Like that's another problem that you see right. in the real estate industry. And then who knows, maybe be a full-time investor, start flipping more houses, start buying more commercial real estate. I mean, at every step that I take in life, if you excel and you do well at what you are, it gives you tools that will help you in the next step. So I'm a very big proponent of doing the best that you can where you're at. And then when you get to your next
1: opportunity in life, you'll be prepared. Amen. Oh my goodness. This is another nugget of wisdom guys. Make sure you go check out David Green. If you're in the Bay Area, go buy some homes then, man. Solid guy. Yeah, it's a great idea. Thank <laughs> and, you. And people do- want to get in touch with me? Oh, yeah. yeah. Go oh, go ahead, Mike. No, no, no.
2: The no. best go bet is it. right now it's Instagram. I'm David Green 24. There's an okay. e at David Green. Uh, that's the easiest way. My team checks my Instagram as well. So people that want to reach out, have questions, want to buy a house, want to know about investing, want to be, if you want me to hook you up with an agent in another market, who's like a top producer, so you don't have to go figure it out for yourself. We've got connections all across the country. I'll help people. I mean, I get that all the time david i want to buy in orlando do you have somebody we'll we'll put you in touch with the top producer
1: that knows what they're doing and help people out there you go there it is that's it and the only thing i was going to say was stop hanging out with the mutants in walmart yes (laughs) amen man that
2: ain't what you need get yourself a a higher barrier to entry you'll
1: never (laughs) ever regret it facts man all right take care guys thanks again thanks mike What another incredible episode. Thank you so much, David Green, for coming on to the show with us. Hey, if you guys are ready to take action, make sure that you check out www.ActiveDutyPassiveIncome.com and sign up for one of our programs, all right? We offer mentorship. We offer coaching. We offer so much more than just this podcast and our Start the Spark group. I'm telling you guys, get out there, get educated, and get connected because you will take so much more effective action at this, just like David Green said. As far as taking that action with mentors, right, folks, and individuals that have done this with you that can understand and speak your language, I'm telling you guys, it's out there for you to to uh, capitalize on. All right, so thanks so much again for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe to listen to more awesome individuals that we are bringing to you. Hoo Catch you guys later.